This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Did you hear about the meteor shower over the nudist colony? It could be seen by the naked eye. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of a, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. Hey! I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question, you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at Dr. Scott WM. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcast medical news. Stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Please don't forget uh, stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com for all your buying needs. It'll take you to Amazon, and you can just click straight through, or you can scroll down and see all the cool stuff we've got on there that have been mentioned on this show. And uh, if you want to lose weight with me, uh, get on Noom, N-O-O-M dot drsteve.com. I gained all this stupid COVID weight. And uh, Noom is helping me get back to my ideal body weight, which I've really basically been at since I, uh, since I succeeded with this program. It's an excellent program. It's not a diet. It's a psychology program. And it helped me. Maybe it'll help you. Who knows? So what you do is you go to Noom, N-O-O-M dot com, and uh, try it for two weeks for free. 
And uh, if you don't like it, you, to hell with it. But if you do like it, you get a 20% discount if you decide to continue with it. You get a counselor. You get a logging software. You get all these little modules that take about five minutes a day to do. It's really a great program. Noom.drsteve.com. Don't forget to check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. That's simplyherbals.net. Today I have a, a very special guest, somebody that I like to consider my friend now, even though we just met for the first time a couple of weeks ago. It is Carl from Who Are These Podcasts. Carl, welcome to the show. Steve, thank you so much for having me. I want to say, as far as regular callers from the ONA show, you're right up there with Snowy from Michigan. So it is an <laughs> oh, honor. Oh, thank you. To thank you. To you today, what a friend. compliment. That's uh, high praise coming from the guy who has crippled Jesus calling in every every, every <laughs> wow. day to his show. So he's a celebrity as well. He so. is. He yeah. is. Well, so if, if if you're not aware of Carl and uh, his show, who are these podcasts? Basically, uh, if I can describe it this way, they took Jocktober and turned it into a business where they they make fun instead of making fun of radio shows although you do do that every once in a while uh they make fun of other people's podcasts it is hilarious and it really to me captures the essence of what that old school ona kind of was you know it's a little wild not everything always hits but when it does it's just brilliant i appreciate that what i lack in the comedy of Jim Norton yes. and Anthony Cumia, obviously, like you, I still go back and listen to those old Jocktober episodes are so great. Yeah. What I lack in that I make up for in preparation. So we put a lot of work into the show. We know what we're talking about and we review a different podcast every single week. Right. Yeah. So you, you have at least the snark of uh, Sam Roberts. We'll have to oh, say that. Okay, <laughs> yeah. High praise indeed. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So anyway, that was a lot of fun. I got to get going. Uh... <laughs> that was well. You know, that, I think Jocktober was Sam's idea in the first place. It was. I've, yeah. I've credited him. He was the one who did all the prep into the Jocktober segments. Yep. He would yep. actually pull the clips. He would set them up. He would explain what was going on, and that's kind of my role on Who Are These Podcasts? We bring in different guests. After Steve was recently on our show, he's on the current episode we just put out this week. Yeah, the what's it titled? Uh, the Financial Feminist. That Financial was the show that Feminist. You did. Wow, that was that was a show. That's a popular show. I found out. I think you're going to be doing more of those, though. I think I hope that so. that might be a regular, like some of your other regulars. So, what they found, uh, unlike jo well, kind of like Jocktober, because every year they would do certain shows over and over again. Scott and Todd, yeah, yeah. Scott and Todd, oh, particularly. Uh, uh, Carl has found his own group of uh, misfits that he can do, but they do. You know, it's year round and it's every week, and it's uh, pretty effing great. So it's really, I, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I never miss an episode anymore. Thank you, Dr. So. Steve. I just want to say, if it weren't for Stuttering John, I don't know that we would be <laughs> still going. That guy is just an endless supply of garbage broadcast. You can mine Stuttering John from now until doomsday. Honestly, he puts out nine hours a week, and I just scratch the surface. <laughs> so There's much just fun. so much. And it's all in good fun. You don't mean anything by it. Of it's course. Just it's fun. a roast. It's yeah. a roast-style show. Yeah, yeah, it's great. All right. Well, and if people uh, will do the plugs at the end too, check them out at whoarethese.com or just in your podcast uh, selector. Just put in uh, who are these podcasts and it'll come up. And they really enjoy it 
when you uh, uh, give them a five-star rating and then just shit all over them in the comments. Yeah, so we read the reviews, especially when you shit on us. Yeah, that was that was uh, the first time that we had any real connection was I uh, talked about your deviated septum in one of the comments, and Vic <laughs> read it. <laughs> I was very excited about that. You lashed on to that. I mean, people talk about my club feet. People talk about how I have no chin. They talk about my hairline for some reason, but you lashed out of the deviated septum. That's my the physician in me. You know, when I hear your voice, I say, that guy's got a deviated septum, and it's pretty damn bad. Nailed <laughs> it. Yes. All right, man. Well, listen, uh, the reason that we had you on besides just me, um, you know, licking your balls uh, is that uh, you had some questions that were very, very intelligent about um, – uh, about this whole COVID-19 thing. Now that we're kind of seem to be coming to the end of it, at least we, we can get back out and do some things. Um, you, you brought up some things that I said were, 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 were very legitimate questions that people legitimately could have. And we had a conversation about it. And you were like, okay, well, I see that. So we, I realized we could have a conversation about it. I had a guy on last week that is one of my, you're going to meet him. Uh, uh, August 28th at the live event and um, one of my best friends and uh, he has a lot of questions too but he came on just completely baked and <laughs> and we didn't get very far you know it was just me kind of droning on and on so I think your your questions are are excellent questions to challenge uh, the the heterodoxy or the uh, whatever the um, you know the established um, a narrative out there, but also, you know, you're a reasonable person. You understand, you know, numbers and things. So I just thought it'd be fun to just talk for a while about these things because I think yeah. they're important. Well, it's interesting. I think the reason why you first reached out to me is because I was on the Drew and Mike show out of Detroit yes. and I was talking about the Bears database and I was playing a clip of Dr. Peter McCullough speculating that the deaths from the COVID vaccines is underreported as high as 50,000. And you sent me an email like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> These people extrapolate data from the Bears database right. are idiots. And so well, I always like these different opinions. Yeah. And what I think is interesting with everything that's happened over the last year and a half is, and my buddy Drew Lane from the Drew and Mike show talks about this. We used to think back in the 60s and 70s, man, these people in Soviet Russia, they're getting this state-fed media. Pravda. They are misinformation. They don't even know what's going on in the world. It's like what China is today. You know, it's controlled by the government. And why are we outraged that that's what's happening here yeah. in this country today? And the most obvious example, of course, is the gain-of-function research lab in Wuhan, completely dismissed by the media. You got banned off social media as misinformation if you brought it up. And the reason why, if you remember this, Dr. Steve, the New York Times posted a report from, I believe it was our intelligence agency, that said there's no evidence that COVID-19 came from the Wuhan lab. <laughs> and and that was a big article, and that became the gospel. Sure. And they, and they decided that if you said that it does come from the Wuhan lab, then you're spreading misinformation, right. all the fact checkers and everybody else is out there. What they failed to mention in that report was that it also said there wasn't any evidence that it came from a bat or a pangolin either. Correct. They just left that part out of it. Right, there's right, no right. evidence it came from the lab. Okay, that's true. <laughs> there's also no evidence it came from anything else. Right. So we're at square one here. We don't know what's going on with this. Right. Yeah, The um, the I think the difference between Pravda and uh, some of the other state-run medias is that 
our media, they're, they're privately owned and they're just doing this of their own free will, which almost makes it a little bit more scary. Yes. Uh, because it's it's harder to combat, I think, that way. You know, if if we had a Pravda, a state-run media, and we could just say, well, you know, it's that's just all bullshit. But the fact is that this stuff was done. It certainly isn't state-run, at least not, you know, from the White House, because it was uh, exactly uh geared toward, um, you know, denying any narrative that was coming out of the White House at the time. And one of my things was that anybody that rooted for, say, hydroxychloroquine to fail, they were actively rooting for it to fail. They'd see a a study that said, well, we didn't see a good effect. You know, I had 20 people and we didn't have enough power to see it. And they would post that everywhere. See, see. And they wanted it to fail just because they didn't like the person that was promoting it. It was worse than that, though. They were speculating that it wasn't even safe. I remember Nancy (laughs) Pelosi proclaimed that our overweight president shouldn't be taking that drug. Right, Right. This is a drug that's taken by millions of people especially in Africa, sure, it's very safe. My mother-in-law um, is, you know, I've always described her as a, she looks like a basketball on top of a bigger basketball. And we've talked about this on the show with her, so I'm not violating any HIPAA, but, you it know. Sounds like uh, BB-8. Yes, Your mom is BB-8. looks like BB-8. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she's not a paragon of health or nutrition or anything like that, and she'd been on it for ages, you know, for right. rheumatoid arthritis. And when I saw the things that were, you see, the times when I intersect with the media, and I don't want to sound like one of those guys, but when I intersect with the media, that's when I realize how much bullshit there is. And sometimes it's just, um, it's just laziness. For example, when I was in Vermont, uh, they did a story uh, that was in our town, and I knew the people that were involved, and I knew the places that were involved, and almost every single fact in this story, and this was CBS News with Dan Rather, you know, while things were still reasonably respectable, uh, everything was wrong. Every single fact, they got the people's names wrong, they got the spelling of the place wrong, you know, there's basically got the gist of it, maybe. And I realized at that moment that the one time that I I knew intimately the facts of of a story, they were all wrong, that how do I not know that they aren't all wrong every other time when they're telling the story? I just don't know any better. They are. So the best case scenario is they're they're incompetent. Yeah. Like you're talking about. That wasn't right. That you could say, like, oh, they're lazy, they're incompetent, great. My concern here is, yes, you were talking about it's not state-run. However, pharmaceutical industry will spend $11.25 <laughs> billion on digital advertising in 2021. Yeah, Most of that money goes to Google and Facebook, by the way. More than half of all money spent on digital goes to two companies, Google and Facebook. And in 2020, this seems incredible. In 2020, 75% of total ad spend on national television – was from the pharmaceutical industry. And of course, as you know, we're one of two countries that allows this. And you know the other one. What is the other one? New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand, really? I didn't know that. United States and New Zealand are the only two countries. Oh, you stumped me on that one. I'll give you a bell. You can't Give yourself a bell! (laughs) Are the only two countries where we have advertising during our newscast that says, ask your doctor about blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. So why would you think for a second that if there was a, a problem with a vaccine from Pfizer or from Johnson & Johnson, that the news would report on it. And the reason why I was bringing up the VAERS database 
And I said it like, I don't know, take it with a grain of salt. I know this is all self-reported <laughs> and correlation causation. There's a lot of things that we need to dive into here, yep. but I don't trust the pharmaceutical industry. I think that they don't want to use generic drugs. I think that the reason why hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin was dismissed is because they're generic forms, oh. they're cheap. And what, yeah, I, remember, I don't think that's remember that. this though, Dr. Steve. I know, yeah, I don't, I know, I know, I know, I know I, I, trouble. I, I don't think that was it. Serious XM. Do you remember? No, I don't Remdesivir? care about that. Remdesivir, sure. Yeah. So this was a, a drug, thirty-two hundred dollars per treatment, and <laughs> I remember the study that came out. It didn't reduce fatality. It slightly sped up recovery time. Okay. And so praising this. What you're saying is true, but there is more to that story. So. Uh, they showed a statistically significant decline in uh, progression from one phase to another, you know, from, yeah. but, and it didn't show mortality, but there's a reason why it didn't. They stopped the study. They did, it was not ethical to continue that study in, uh, and give people placebo when they knew that the drug was effective. So when they do a, a large study like that, they will have an independent monitor. I can't, as the, as the um, the person that's running the study, I can't know if you got placebo or if you got remdesivir. As a patient in the study, you can't know whether you got remdesivir or placebo because the placebo effect is so powerful. But to make sure that we aren't killing people and not knowing about it until after the study is done or to make sure that we're not unethically giving people placebo when we've got a something that has a statistically significant benefit, there will be independent monitors who will be looking at that data. And they picked up on the signal that this remdesivir was actually effective. And they stopped the study because at that point, once you realize it's effective, you can't give somebody placebo anymore. Right. I mean, does that ethically make sense to you? And at that point, they 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 had mortality data that showed there was an improvement in mortality, but it wasn't statistically significant because they weren't able to get enough people because most people don't get this disease and most people who get it don't die. So you have to have a huge sample to show a decrease in mortality. And they just didn't get the sample size. So, I mean, so that rem makes sense. remdesivir wasn't the the panacea that we hoped it was, but uh, still probably worth worth pursuing. And they did come up with it in record amount of time, you know. And, and you know, the, the, the thing is, in this country, we pay more for our drugs, no question about that, than any other country in the world. And our insurance pays for that, so most of us don't give a shit, right? Because our insurance oh, will pay so for it. I pay so much for insurance that I do right, give a shit. Right, right, right. And that's... And expense every month understood understood yeah. so uh but uh, you know a lot of people there isn't a big uproar because people pay for their uh, you know have their drugs mostly paid for but uh i don't want to see the government restricting the in the pharmaceutical com companies because they are innovating like crazy through not only through competition, but because they're, they've got these boatloads of money hanging around. We are this close to a, a generalizable cure for cancer, and it's not going to come from the naturopaths. It's going to come from the pharmaceutical companies. And I'll hear people say, well, we already have that, and, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are suppressing it. It's real simple. You give people, you know, whatever. And it, listen, here's if 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 we had a really simple cure for cancer— and I knew about it because doctors supposedly are in on this. I would reveal it today just for the 
for the compensatory blowjobs I would get. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Just for the blowjobs. I would do it just for that. The pat, you know, I'm 65. I'd do the pat on the back is nice, too, but that's I would do it for that. I would risk it. And so would every other physician out there. So there's no grand conspiracy. Uh, cancer is hard as shit to treat right. because you're killing living human cells inside a living human body. But if you go to my website at drsteve.com, you can see non-pseudoscience cancer cures. That's the kind of stuff that we're going for. We will have that. I used to say it was 100 years. And now, hell, we're using Im- immunotherapy now. You know why? Because that was in a, if the government was doing this, there would be no innovation. So that's I, I'm, I'm a libertarian. I think they ought to be able to make whatever money they can. Martin Shrelly can kiss my ass, but, you know, other than that, uh, but I want them to make money so that they will continue to innovate. And they, if there's no competition, they won't innovate. So you got to let lots of players into there. So, you yeah. know, but I get so, what you're saying, let's too. Talk about, let's talk about that because yep. right, you brought me down another path here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a digital marketer by trade and a podcaster. I don't know anything about what I'm talking about. So <laughs> okay. your disclaimers, I have mine. Never stopped but, anybody in this country. But I used to do a lot of work for the University of Rochester Medical Center, URMC. Okay. Which is very well respected. Some some brilliant doctors, 3,000 researchers here in Rochester. Yes. And they talked a lot about personalized medicine. And that's kind of the direction they're going. Now, Moderna as a company developed this technology, this mRNA technology, as personalized vaccines for cancer, what you're talking yeah. about. Maybe not what you're talking about, but you... No, it you, is, yeah. I mean... That was one of the it, things that they were going for. Moderna's name is right. actually Mode RNA. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so what this means, though, and please correct me where I'm wrong, <laughs> but give me a second to spit this out. <laughs> we have this mRNA technology that we're using as the vaccines. Obviously, the Pfizer and the Moderna yeah. uh, have this. Also, I think the AstraZeneca in, uh, in Europe. Yeah. And uh, they're using the exact same drug or vaccine for every man, woman, child, pregnant woman, etc. When really this was set up, this technology was set up to be personalized medicine based on somebody's DNA. In fact, the inventor of this technology, Dr. Robert Malone, is concerned about potential long-term side effects. He tweeted, what happens to confidence in public health and USG if ivermectin turns out to be safe and effective for COVID and the genetic vaccines turn out to have significant safety issues. This looks like a very plausible scenario from where I sit. This is the person who invented the technology (laughs) that we're injecting into every man, woman, and pregnant woman and child in the U.S. and around the world right now. Sure, sure. Well, Steve, comment? Yeah, no, it's there are, listen, People say, well, where's long-term data? Well, there will be no long-term data until there's been a long-term. That's one of the problems with this. Well, and so these things right are there. Yeah, go ahead. This is something else that I heard about. Yeah, yeah. When they were testing mRNA vaccines for uh, SARS or whatever it was that they were developing these for in the past, they were doing animal testing, which we didn't do this time around as far as I know. Yep. Well, and what they found was done, go ahead. The, it worked for the animals against the virus, but as the virus mutated or there were variants, whatever we're using these days, then if there was a variant, the immune system didn't know how to deal with it and the, the animal would die. That is true. This was the, What this was was research that was done on feline coronavirus vaccines. Yes. And the thing is that they're my understanding. Okay, so what you're talking about is a thing called Antib- antibody-associated immune enhancement. 
And we see this with dengue fever as well. People get dengue fever, they get better, they get it a second time, they're 10 times worse. Right. And uh, so in those trials with the cats, they were using a different target for those antibodies. And when they did that, exactly what you said happened was when it wasn't the mutation, it was when they saw a different coronavirus, the the original antibody would attach to this locus and it would actually prevent the white blood cells from uh, uh, being from being activated. And so the virus just um, took off and uh, and would kill the host. Now, we this was my. I know you don't listen to my show, and it's fine. I've talked about this a bunch, that this is the yeah. the one concern for this vaccine that I have, that I, if someone told me I'm not going to get the vaccine because I'm concerned about antibody-associated immune enhancement, I would go, you know what? I kind of understand that. I do understand that. That is a concern. However, Dr. Robert Malone doesn't think you should take it for that. Well, reason. he didn't say he you shouldn't take it. it. He says he has concerns. I have concerns, yes. but I think you should take it. Uh, the The good news is. Can I point out real quick, though, Dr. Yeah, Steve? Yeah. I listen to your show when I can. I have to listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thank you. I guess regimen is. I'm glad you don't listen show. to my podcast that way. So <laughs> yeah, all the shows I have to review. I'm hate listening most of the time. So. I'm okay with you not listening. So, all right. Um, <laughs> But but I have I have made that so people who listen to the show know that I've made that statement uh, and I'm not a vaccine shill I'm not a fan of the uh, varicella vaccine we could talk about that if you're interested in why I I don't like that one vaccine but but uh, so I, this I understand now having said that we've been giving that we've vaccinated about a billion people by now and those other five coronaviruses are still floating around. And there is uh, almost zero chance that no one has come in contact with one of the other five float, you know, and endemic pandemic uh, coronaviruses. Um, well, they're endemic. I mean, they're just in our environment. And uh, we have seen zero cases of antibody uh, associated I immune enhancement. Got stop you right there. Doc, okay. Because. How would we know that? And this is oh, my you would biggest know. concern. I think the information is being suppressed, as we both agree. This is how we started this episode. Right. Information is being suppressed actively. Twitter is blocking people. YouTube is taking yeah. physicians down who <laughs> have the right information proven well, in the future. And now you're saying, well, we know for a fact that it was after these vaccines. I don't know that. Do you? Yeah, I do. I, we do, though. We have data on on mortality and those kinds of things that are not being suppressed. But let's let's take ivermectin, for example. Okay. So ivermectin uh, is an anti-helminthic drug. It, it, we use it for parasites and stuff in humans and animals, but it has antiviral and anti-cancer properties. Now, if you got on YouTube and said we ought to be giving ivermectin and give, you know do it for this, and that, your your YouTube channel would be taken off. I did a whole show on ivermectin. I was right. worried that I was going to get deplatformed for it, but I was just talking about the science. And you, the th the problem with this was that there were you know, maniacs out there, you know, saying this was a panacea for everything. And you could argue whether that was dangerous speech. I, I don't agree with that at all. But, uh, I, you know, you could argue that they that needed to be censored by some, you know, triumvirate of people at Twitter or YouTube. But then people who were just talking about the science were lumped into that as well. And so, you know, it's this whole, where do you draw the line? Well, I think you draw the line at not censoring speech. But ivermectin, 
um, even though you couldn't hear about it on YouTube and other places like that, you go to clinicaltrials.gov. You could go to PubMed. All of that stuff was there. If I go to clinicaltrials.gov right now, and my listeners are sick of me hearing uh, hearing me I say know. this. There's 72 studies. I know. Yes, exactly. I listen every now and again. Yeah, yeah. There's 72 <laughs> studies on it. Uh, that's yeah. the, the knowledge isn't being suppressed, but I am not okay with Google and YouTube and, you know, these other social media platforms just deciding we're not going to allow that on our platform. Okay, so let's let's talk about this then, because I think our federal agencies are also mucking things up a bit. Okay. And let's talk about Senate Homeland Security Committee Chair Ron Johnson okay. out of Wisconsin. Now you're out of my wheelhouse, but I'll listen to what you have to say. All right, I'll listen to what I have to say. I will. So he says... Fewer doctors practiced off-label prescription rights because hospital associations can be sued for not following the federal agencies. Mm. And quote-unquote, this is how we advance medicine, by saying, I think ivermectin might work for this. And some of the other physicians that I saw were talking about, look, it's not like just one drug that's going to do this. We're going to have probably a a variable drugs, and we're going to try different combinations of them, and we're going to try to treat patients. And the NIH dropped the focus on treatment back in May of 2020 when it became known that the virus would be amenable to a vaccine. Right. And so all of this information started to get scrubbed, and you couldn't all of a sudden treat the drug. Doctors were told not to. And all they said was, go home and isolate yourself. Yeah. That's not treating a patient, telling them to go home and, <laughs> and isolate themselves. That's insane. Yeah, that uh, that kind of pissed me off, too, because I was a big um, proponent of things like favipiravir, which is an antiviral that's already on the market in Japan that showed initially some uh, promise in the treatment, uh, early treatment, because this is what we want. Carl, I said this from day one. If we have a pandemic and it's, you know, and and it was no hoax, I mean, I, I could back in the peak just before january 15th i could have taken people through uh you know our any hospital in our system and you would have seen it's not a hoax it's just big numbers and small percentages but still re- it results oh, in I, big I net the, numbers the person the average person who died from having covid was older than the life expectancy yeah but it, yeah it, it wasn't a hoax but, okay, but it's sure. a lot of people so <laughs> yeah. uh and and then there were the outliers we had the 25 year olds and the 40 some year olds and some of them had That's most most of them had risk factors. Some didn't. So, but they were, they were outliers. No question about that. But um, uh, uh, oh oh. But as a practicing, I, I forgot where I was going with this. But I, I you were saying you were also annoyed with the the policies from the NIH. Yes yes yes. So as a physician, I'm supposed to be able to write anything off label anytime I want to. Right. And but that was not the case in this situation. Uh, there were people that had to sue the hospitals to, as a last ditch effort, to get somebody uh, to have uh, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin as a last ditch effort. Now this is I remember when I was where I was going. This is a problem because obviously when it's a last ditch effort, last ditch efforts usually don't work. You know, mm. and what we needed very early on. And I said this from day effing one when I was doing the COVID sit reps on uh, the Laugh Button channel on YouTube, was that if we had a um, a, a treatment that would keep people you early on in the disease from progressing to having to go to the hospital, and if you were in the hospital, it prevented you from going on the ventilator. If you were on the ventilator, it prevented you from dying. This thing would be over. 
Because right. if we had something that like uh, Tamiflu, which doesn't even work that well, but if you went to your primary care and said, God, I've got COVID-19, they go, yeah, God, we do this test. You had it. Here's a prescription. Go take it and isolate yourself for seven days, which we do for people with influenza. They have to isolate. Uh, I had influenza one year, and I watched five seasons of Arrow on the CW. That's when I got caught <laughs> up on, on the you Arrow. You Sopranos over again? Just watch <laughs> the Sopranos oh, Shit, I got that's all up here. I'd never seen Arrow. But anyway... Um, uh, and I was sick, too. So, uh, yeah. But I, uh, you know, if, if we had that, there'd be no, who gives a shit if we had a pandemic? You just go about right. your business. This would be over the next day. And the fact that they dropped the ball on therapies for early therapies early on, because they're studying stuff now. Well, shit, who cares now? You know, really, yeah. there is some, there will still be some benefit from promoting the science. Still cases of COVID-19 out there. We've still got people in the hospital with it. So it'd still be nice to uh, to have. And for later coronaviruses, I think that really is the way to go. This vaccine thing, I just saw that. You're right. They saw it was amenable to a vaccine. They jumped with it because they knew they could stop this thing uh, quicker that way. But I really think dropping the ball on therapeutics was a mistake. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. I don't know if they thought they could stop it quicker. I think it had to do with big pharma. And I think Trump mm. probably has got some buddies and, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. Mm. And so they, well, they made some know. deals. I mean, let's not forget. Keep I mean, off. vaccines have changed our world. There's no question. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not anti-vaccine. Yeah, yeah. No, but I know. I know. Hundreds of millions of doses before it was even created. Yeah. Like the money was already exchanged. Like here's trillions of dollars, whatever it was, <laughs> billions of dollars. Yeah. And now fulfill the order whenever you get around to it. But remember how desperate we were. We, I, I mean, as I understand. 
to be done so with this So that's my point, thing. though. With so I was I was watching this guy, Doctor uh, Peter McCullough, who you might disagree with, but he's this Dallas oh. physician, and he's the most published MD in his field, which is heart and kidneys, whatever. Yeah. He was the first person to put together a paper on the treatment of COVID because he was recognizing that no one's talking about how we're going to treat this. Right. And he found uh, what, what he called a sequence multi-drug approach that had an 85% reduction in hospitalization of people 50 plus who contracted COVID-19. Okay. And he put together this paper and he, he joined forces with many other physicians and he decided his, his daughter told him, you got to spread the word. He put together a video with four slides from this peer-reviewed paper that was published in the American Journal of Medicine, and it went viral. A week later, YouTube took it down for violating the terms. <laughs> yeah, that's shitty. Let's let's look at this article. Do you uh, do you have the title of it by any chance? We should have talked about this ahead of time. Oh, I yeah, what? you're not going to be able to find it if you're googling. By the no, way, no, 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 dude, I have National Library of Medicine uh, okay. access, and by the way, so do you and everybody else. Fair so, enough. So, but everyone just uses Google, which totally suppresses. What's his name? Dr. Peter McCullough. It's M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H. Okay. And it's COVID-19. Uh, let me see. Let me just, let me start there. Yeah. American Journal of, of Medicine. Okay. Multifaceted, highly targeted, sequential multidrug treatment of early ambulatory high-risk SARS-CoV-2 infection. And this go. was published in... Uh, reviews of cardiovascular medicine, which ain't, which ain't AGM. I, did you so we think had he two had one? papers. Okay, okay. You did have two papers. That might be the other one. Let me let me look and see here. Um, uh, okay, here's the one from American Journal of Medicine. So it's in the, that's fi- pathophysiologic basis and rationale for early outpatient treatment. So this one is um, this is a review article. This is not a clinical trial. This is this article outlines key pathophysiological right. principles that relate to the patient with early infection. So you understand, right? That this is hey, I've got ideas, and it's at the end of the article. The conclusion said future randomized trials. Testing the principles and agents discussed will undoubtedly uh, refine and clarify their individual roles. However, we emphasize the immediate need for management guidance in the setting. So he's saying, listen, we we need something, but we don't have the data. That that first paper was, he said, no one else is talking about the treatment. Right. Well, no one is talking about this. So, so he put together a paper to talk about, we need to start treating this. And then I believe the second paper was after he had some data okay. that he had put together from actually working on it. And the other thing that I've seen multiple physicians complaining about was these government agencies, the NIH, they never consulted panels of doctors actively treating patients. Yeah. that You know, that, and there are all these physicians who are using steroids and ivermectin and other drug sequences, showing signs of success, whether it's statistically significant or not. Yeah. But- the fact that they're not like going to these people and saying, what are you seeing with your patients? What's working? I remember very early on hearing a physician, I believe, with uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky, who was talking about um, hydroxychloroquine yep. and zinc and talking about this combination. He's like, this is a miracle. This is working. And this guy is a pricing physician. I assume yep. he knows what he's talking about. Sure. But it just it was never discussed. It never made it up to the, the realm, humans, the, the ranks to, to be talked about on CNN or MSNBC. Humans are really shitty even really smart humans at um, processing uh, odds and probability and stuff. That's why we have to have a a 
discipline called statistics and epidemiology where we crunch these numbers because otherwise we're really bad at that. And there was a group of people, and I'm not going to say their name, but they treated 300 people and they gave them all azithromycin and they all got better. Well, when you have a, a, you know, a recovery rate of 90 plus percent, that, that could happen. You could, you, you know, you would figure you'd have, let's say if it's one in a hundred, okay, that die. Uh, yep. So 1%. Um, and if you're cherry picking your patients, you could make it even less than that or more than that. But let's just say one in 100. So could you imagine a world where you took uh, – so you would expect for every 100 patients that one would die. Right. Uh, and if you give them this treatment and it's just a placebo, one would still die. Well, could you imagine a world where you could flip a three-sided coin and you could flip heads three times in a row and you could do 300 patients and none of them die? Because that sample no, I- size is so small that that's very easy to have that happen. And that's what happened to them. And they came out. They only had 350 patients. They said they all got better. Well, no shit. You know, most right. people did get better. And that that's... The, the, and I'm not even saying that they were bad actors. They just were bad epidemiologists. And sure. everybody wanted to have an answer to this thing. And, um, you know, statistics are just are, are tough. Well, yeah, and so. I'm in digital marketing, so I understand statistic and statistical, statistical significance. You can't say uh, it, but you understand better it. than the next guy. <laughs> and it's funny because remember they had that cruise ship? Yes. And that was the first thing they Dude. used to say, like, oh, my gosh, this has a 4% fatality. I had that ridiculous. guy on. I had a guy that was on the cruise ship on my show. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. he's local. He's local to me. But it's it's interesting that when it first started, we were taking data from China that was all false and who knows what it was. And then, <laughs> and then we were taking these, these crazy little pockets of data and we were saying, oh, my gosh, the fatality rate is 4%, 5%. And you just said 90 plus. 99.6. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Right? right, right. No, I mean, yeah. that's what we're actually talking about. Yeah. The idea that we locked down, and you keep talking about risk versus reward. Why was it that the politicians were so quick to just say, we got to lock it down, nobody can get sick with this, and there was no thought about, all right, what about people's mental health? Exactly. What about physical health? What about the economy? What are other things that are going to happen if we just decide to shut everything down there, there seemed to be zero consideration of that. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, and I always say on this show that politics plus medicine equals politics. And that's it. That's the only thing that comes out the ass end of that equation is politics. And this business where we had blue states that were locked down and red states that were evil and they were letting people, you know, go to bars and stuff. You know, it's crazy. Now, I like the idea of the United States having 50 little different experiments that they can run and that was very useful because you saw florida and uh you know they were pretty wide open i was in florida you had to wear a mask in some places like if you went into walgreens or something like that but you know uh and people were being careful but they weren't totally locked down the restaurants were open people were delivering food you know it was still the media say dr steve yeah there going to be an outbreak they kept predicting it oh my gosh this is going to be crazy remember when they had to put a curfew on spring break in <laughs> yeah, miami yeah, yeah and it wasn't because they're worried about the spread of this disease because these people were like they were rioting, rioting. right yeah <laughs> was, they were going crazy and everyone was like they're watching these videos and they've been trained that if you're not wearing a mask you're going to get covid and everyone's going to die and then it didn't happen it just kind of like went away i personally don't think and i'm interested to hear your opinion on this 
I don't believe masks makes much of a difference at all. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I base that on a couple things. But I like off, what you said is you yeah. didn't you didn't you said that I don't think they work very well at all. You didn't say yeah. they don't work. So go ahead. And I'm going to I think I'll convince you that what you said was really the crux of the situation. And I, right. I think there's a, there's an importance, uh, an important um nuance there to say that they don't work well at all and to not just then say they don't work but go ahead because in everything in life there's so many other factors and i see gavin newsom who says we got to shut the state down and everyone has to wear a mask at all times even if you're out on the beach i don't care and it's 100 degrees out whatever you have to put a mask on florida says the exact opposite and california was hit harder so that's what that's just like one quick Example where you go, oh, maybe masks don't work. But also the guy who's telling you to wear a mask is having dinner with his friends. Yes. They're all hooting and hollering and yelling at each other. None of them worry about it. So they're not believing their own bullshit. Right. We're all fine. We can do it because we're right. something. That tells me that they're lying. Yeah, that's uh, that the that sort of hypocrisy. I, I can't stand that. But uh, And the restriction of liberty and human, you know, the ability to make a living for yourself also was uh, really distressing. And then you got people like, you know, the politician from San Francisco that, you know, was pushing the masks and the lockdown and then going to, you know, getting the uh, uh, salon owner to open up just for her and stuff like that. I can't stand that stuff. But uh, here's the thing with masks. Yeah, they mostly don't work. Would you give me that they work 10 percent of the time that, you know, may decrease uh, some transmission 10 percent of the time? In other words, 90 percent doesn't do anything. Well, and, could, before you get into that point, I apologize. Yeah. I keep cutting you off. No, it's okay. No, but I'm the co-host, right. so I could do yeah, that. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, right. So this comes back to... He's not the guest. He's I, the co-host, everybody. <laughs> this comes back to... There's a very low instance of asymptomatic spread. And that was early on we said, it doesn't matter if you're showing symptoms or not. You're going to be spreading this like wildfire. Right. And the science has not come back to prove that at all. That was the and Fauci, Rand Paul thing. Fauci yeah. would say, well, we don't know that it doesn't. And Rand Paul would say, well, you don't know that it does. Right. There's no evidence that it does. Right, right, right. right. And so. so we had a whole public health strategy based around there's going to be this crazy asymptomatic spread. I was just on an airplane for 10 hours and I went to Vegas to see my friend Shuli do stand up. <laughs> and I'm wearing a mask on an airplane for 10 hours. You know, I'm in both ways. I'm not, I don't live that far away from Vegas. I'm not sick and I uh, have been vaccinated. There was a paddleboarder in Malibu who was arrested. The person was by himself on a paddleboard <laughs> in the ocean. Come on. But he wasn't wearing a Come mask. Come on. Like, this is insanity, right? That's not true. Is that true? Yeah, you didn't hear about that? No. That oh, is... it's hilarious. There's a video. It's hilarious. Oh, my God. It's, it's... See, that's the nonsensical bullshit that I can't stand. Of course, because you're, you're a smart person. It's common sense. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, yeah, that's just it makes no sense whatsoever. That person posed no danger to anybody. That's really the question. Do you pose a danger to somebody? And that when you're on your own in this ocean, who's he going to pose a danger to? The seals? California are authoritarians. Yeah. They just like, well, we made a rule and you better follow it because I don't want yeah. anyone seeing that people aren't following our rules. Well, that's a stupid rule. But um, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the mask thing kind of goes without saying. The mask thing is interesting. If you'll grant me that 90% of the time they don't work. Sure. When you have, uh, so are you familiar with the uh, concept of the R naught or the effective uh, um, reproductive number 
In other words, it's the number of people. So the R naught, R sub zero, you know, it's an R with a oh, little zero. Okay, yeah, I, I am familiar with that. Cuomo talked about this quite a bit. Okay, well, watch uh, every day. <laughs> that, <laughs> that doesn't make it a bad concept. I'm sure he used no, it course. improperly. No, but the R naught for COVID 19 is around 2.4. And what that means, if you take one person that's infected and put them in a population, an idealized population of fully vulnerable people, that person will infect about 2.4 people on average. Now, some people will affect 150, you know, if they're in a choir and they're just spewing it out, and some people will infect none. So it all averages out to about 2.4. The uh, truly effective uh, number of the R sub T is the number of what you actually do in the population uh, is like for the longest time was like 1.1. So when you have 1.1, in other words, it's, you know, just 10% above not transmitting a, at an increasing rate. And that's when a 10% efficacy of a mask can kick you from increasing your COVID-19 to just getting below the threshold where you're now decreasing. And that's why I was a fan of masks when this thing was in full swing. For example, when in the beginning, Fauci said, no, it's stupid to wear a mask. Well, I always took that as when there were 100 cases in Washington state, there wasn't any sense. It was stupid for me in Tennessee to wear it. Now, when all of a sudden in Tennessee we had millions of cases, you know, and the country had had millions of cases across the whole country, it made sense, particularly in states where the R sub T was around hovering around 1.1 because you could get to that point where either your cases were actually decreasing. So that's why I was okay with masks, but I'm also okay with casting them off when it doesn't make any sense anymore. Well, the other thing about Fauci that I want to talk to you about, because, <laughs> yes, he did say that masks don't work. And he actually said that he didn't say it was because there's not a lot of COVID around you or anything like that. What he said on 60 Minutes was they actually fiddle with them and your your fingers are touching your face and you might get stuff there. Yeah, and well, people didn't actually, use them right. That is true. Cr- right. But we and all I learned. To, children we, use them? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, children are just snotty and gooey anyway. But uh, But what I thought was odd, though, about what Dr. Fauci was saying, and of course he was on TV every single day because he just loves the camera, he never once talked about building up your immune health or the importance of diet and exercise. And I, I, you know, Joe Rogan always talks about this. I I think it's odd. Modern medicine, and I'm interested in your take on this. You've been in the industry a very, very long time. Yes. Uh, There's too strong a focus on pharmaceuticals. I don't disagree. It's not it's not just medicine. There are things you can do to make yourself healthy and to build up your immune system so that you don't get sick in the first place. So what's the, what's the American way? The American way. And uh, I love this country. So this is but this is typical of shit that we pull in this country. Uh, yeah. We we see a study where in Norway, uh, people who eat a lot of fish have fewer heart attacks and strokes. So in this country, what do we do is we take a bunch of fish and put them in a vat and render them down to uh, oil and put it in a pill. And we take it and go, well, there we go. So we're good. You know, (laughs) instead of just eating more fish, it turns out that people who ate more fish were eating less of other stuff. Yeah. And they just did better. And there's probably genetics and a bunch of other stuff involved there. But, uh, you know, that's our way of doing things. And, you know, the thing that I, I, I don't know if Joe Rogan said this, somebody said it. That, you know, exercise and vitamin D, which we get from sunshine, 
and uh, and our diet are really important to health. And one of the things that we just totally just trashed during COVID nineteen, you know, you you uh, it, diet you could still do a good diet, but you couldn't go to the gym anymore if you went out and jogged and you didn't have your mask on. Which try that sometime, you know, you got yelled at, particularly if you're in New York. I mean, I know people that are friends of mine that were jogging without their masks and people would run after them and curse at them and stuff. And then, uh, you know, you're not getting sunshine because you're inside. You're supposed to stay inside and and you're lacking in vitamin D. And it was just all the things that make us healthy. We were kind of uh, putting to aside, putting aside during these lockdowns. Well, let's not forget, we were also, because we wanted to support our local businesses, we were encouraging takeout from restaurants. Yes. So people were actually ordering out more often <laughs> Which is always less healthy than cooking at home. Yeah, it was awesome though. <laughs> you enjoyed that. Part I did of it? enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I gained a, I gained a lot of favorites. I gained yeah. a lot of weight, but then I had to. Uh, so it's one of my uh, biggest affiliate uh, things is Noom, and I've done very well with that because I lost all my weight again. <laughs> we, I, I gotta check that out. <laughs> well, check it out at noom.drsteve.com. I actually can't plug that on this side, but anyway, listen. <laughs> we've got. It looks like. We've got about three, four minutes left. So um, okay. what you got anything else? We need to get your plugs yeah. in for sure. I know. There's. I'm enjoying this. I wanted to yeah, talk to you too. about Yeah, me too. We should do another hour of this. I, we, we barely scratched the surface of a lot of the things I know that you wanted to talk about. That's true, but that's okay. Um, so I was, I'm, I'm in New York State. So Cuomo's Daily Presser was must-see TV for me. I wanted to know what's going on. Uh, I was an owner of a business at that time. And of course, we all had to start working from home and everything was getting shut down. And what Cuomo said originally was 80% of New Yorkers will become affected with COVID-19. Oh, it's what that was going around early on. We're all going to get it. So we're, we're, gonna just gotta, it. we're all yeah. going to get it. Right. And then he said, so what we need to do is we just need to flatten the curve because the hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. And we just need to flatten the curve. So it doesn't happen now. I actually knew about a dozen people. Like I said, I worked with uh, URMC. I knew about a dozen people who worked at the local hospitals here, and they were all furloughed during this time. So we were concerned about the hospitals getting overwhelmed. They didn't have enough business to keep their employees on full time. <laughs> they were all getting a week a month furloughed. You know why? And money from it. There's um, so early on particularly, and I, I, I used to notice this when I worked in urgent care. Uh, I, I worked in urgent care. I'd see about 70 patients a day. Yeah. And then race week. I, I live near Bristol, Virginia, you know, Bristol Raceway, uh, you know, close enough. And um, when race week could happen, all of a sudden nobody was sick anymore. Nobody showed up. I might see two or three people. So people have some control over that when you're not just being overwhelmed with, you know, knuckleheads coming in for stuff. Yeah. The next thing you know, all you're seeing are COVID patients and they're in the minority. And right. that was early on. Now, later on, things got really hopping in the in the hospitals. But, yeah, it was real, real quiet there for a while. Well, I think it was a little bit overreported. I did see footage that CNN was using that they said it was a hospital in New York City. It turned out it was a hospital in, in Italy. And. <laughs> That made the rounds. I mean, it's just misreporting going on. So it makes people like me very skeptical. Sure. I know I'm being lied to. You should so be. I that they're lying to me about everything. But it also was disconcerting that Cuomo's like, everyone's going to get it. And then a month or two into the lockdown, he's like, nobody can get this disease. 
We can't have a single person get COVID. If one person dies, it's one person too many. It's like, where's the risk and reward? Isn't that what interesting? Are you talking about? It's just like, and, and we all went along with it. I mean, not all of us, but everyone's just like, yeah, that's fine. No one should ever get COVID ever, ever again. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, 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 we need to be living our lives. And it's okay if some people have to go to the hospital. That's, that's how hospitals, and by the way, you know this better than anyone. I know this because I worked with the hospital for so long. When the news reports, oh my gosh, the hospital's at 90% capacity. We're very concerned. They operate at 105 to 110% capacity at all times. That's their business model. It's like how airplanes <laughs> overbook for flight. That's their business model. They that's have hilarious. to be over capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Am and I wrong about that? You're not, uh, you're not wrong. And okay. the problem is, I don't, we are absolutely out of time. The music is starting to play. Uh, but fuck it, we'll just keep going for the podcast we'll do that so anyway. i wanted to ask so, yeah. you because i focus on the media and how they handled all of this yes so when cnn has this focus on the death count and every time and i don't watch cnn but i would just go out to a restaurant or you go somewhere and it's on the tv yeah an airport they have the third of the panel just focusing on the the deaths and the hospitalizations and these numbers and they just keep growing doesn't that become a self-fulfilling prophecy i know that if you are sick and you think you're going to die, you have a better chance of dying. <laughs> it's the placebo effect, yeah, right? That's kind a nocebo effect at that time. You're right. Right. Isn't, Isn't this well-known science that if you tell people you're going to get better, you have a better chance of getting better? And if you tell people you're going to die, you have a better chance of dying? Well, it is, that is a particularly small effect. But, yeah, yeah. people that have, have uh, achieved um, – people who are stubborn – and say, I'm not going to die, tend to live longer than people who have accepted, oh, I'm going to, you know. So, yeah, so if you tell people you're going to die and they accept that, there may be an increase. And I, I can't quote the statistics. That's a very small effect. But just concentrating on the death and the mayhem and uh, and really exaggerating it as far as a percentage of the population, particularly, yeah. uh, that contributes to a decline in our mental health. No question about that anxiety and stuff and agoraphobia. People started becoming afraid to leave their homes. Uh, one of my favorite sites, and I'll turn you on to this if you're not aware of it, is uh, covid.stoutlabs.com. Okay. And uh, on there, you can take and graphically... Uh, play with the numbers. It's it's sort of like uh, the world in numbers, except it's more infinitely uh, play aroundable. If you know, I, you know, you can you can mess with it, and COVID, you can what you you can mess with the numbers no, no, yourself. I'm sorry, and, COVID, what was the URL? Oh, oh COVID sorry, COVID dot Stout Labs, like S T O U T L A B S dot com. Got it. And there's state data in there, and then there's uh, world data. And the state data is fun to look at because you can you can plot uh, New Jersey and New York and California against, say, Florida and Alabama and stuff. You get some pretty interesting uh, some pretty interesting ideas and I, that you can play with, and you can you know take screenshots and post that stuff. And there are all kinds of neat things you can do with it. But um, you get that that the data is filtered through Johns Hopkins, which to me is still a relatively um, uh, reliable organization. I don't see any evidence that they're manipulating the numbers because of politics or anything like that. And so you can see the numbers for your damn self. And the really interesting one is to look at, uh, you, you know, percent of deaths per population, you know, per 100,000. And I had a medical student. And I, he was saying, oh, you know, the United States sucks and all this stuff. I said, okay, 
in uh, how would you what country would you think did the worst as far as COVID-19 is in the world? And he said, oh, by far the United States. And I said, "Okay, how would you measure that? Would you agree that um, deaths per hundred thousand would be a a measure, you know, because we can normalize it to the population? He said, oh, yeah, absolutely. That would be it. So I said, well, let's just go do that. And then we did it. And, you know, the United States was like number 18. 20s, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, somewhere pretty, you know. a lot of Western European countries that come up higher than that. Oh, yeah. UK was at that time. Italy was higher than we were. Spain, yep. I, I think. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, it's it. people, again, have a hard time with statistics. And that's why I like websites like that because you can just look at it. In, in pictures, we're, we're a lot better at looking at pictures than we are. The media has a hard time with statistics. So oh, I was thinking dude. about this. Yeah. It, what if we had just, uh, we have CNN, it's just plotting uh, opioid deaths. Yes. And we were, every single day we were showing that. Right. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but Johnson & Johnson just settled with the state of New York $230 million that they're responsible for uh, the opioid crisis. And you have all of these ODs and these people who were strung out on opioids. And Johnson Johnson paid the money, $230 million to the state. But in paying that settlement said, but we take no responsibility. <laughs> well, obviously you do. I mean, I know it's chump change for them, but obviously you do or you wouldn't have paid it. So these are illegal, legal uh, drug pushers. Does the news media report on this? Like this was a, a huge problem, but because they're also paying for their salaries, you're not getting a lot of reports on this. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at CNBC.com about this J&J thing, and uh, what 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 they um, said, the, the agreement bans Johnson & Johnson from promoting opioids through any means and prohibits yeah. lobbying about such products. So what happened was in the 80s, and I lecture on this, so, you know, I, I do a lecture on safe opioid prescribing, and um, there was a letter, uh, it was... Um, uh, Porter and Jick did a letter. It was a letter to the editor to a prestigious medical journal saying that we looked at, you know, X number of thousand people in the hospital that we treated with uh, with high power opioids. And we only had four people that were we could say were addicted to it, which is just it's laughable now. Right. But be, because of that, that was the crystal you know, the seed crystal that you put when you're making rock candy or, you know, other crystals that then everything crystallized around. And uh, the next thing we know, we're being told as physicians that we're under prescribing pain or under under treating pain and we're under prescribing that we could get sued if we didn't treat, uh, uh, you know, chronic pain with strong opioids. And then I went to some um, drug company sponsored uh, um uh, CME, quote unquote, CME events where they got one person after another up there saying, well, my, I'm an attorney and I had to stop working and uh, n- nothing allowed me to go back to work until I got transdermal fentanyl, which is some, you know, was something we use for cancer pain. I mean, you can use it for other things, but it's a long acting fentanyl product. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, it's fentanyl. It's a a great drug, you know, a fentanyl, a hell of a drug, (laughs) you know, um, so, but we, the, uh, the drug company education and lobbying saying, Hey, these people, these doctors are under prescribing drugs. And then 
you know, fast forward 20, 30 years later, and now we're the problem because we're overprescribing, and now it's a problem. And you can notice that if you plot that in about 2010, doctor, pre, physicians and, and nurse practitioners and PAs stopped writing opioids pretty much for chronic pain. You start seeing a lot of chronic pain people saying, hey, what the fuck? You know, I was on this stuff. It was working. And now my nobody will prescribe it for me. But you see the number of prescriptions dropping precipitously. Yet the opioid deaths continue to rise. Okay. And w- why is that? Because we didn't, been done. we didn't do anything about the demand. We did nothing about yeah. the demand. We took care of the supply. But so we now didn't the do- street drugs come into play. So then that's when the street drugs and Chinese fentanyl and, yep. uh, you know, you can a couple of million doses in a brick about this big, you know, a kilogram to, you know, 2.2 pound brick. And it's really easy to smuggle and uh, it's really easy to die from it. Because if you get a dealer that doesn't know what they're doing and they just go, man, I just need to step on this a little bit in the positive sense, and get, you know, kick it up a little bit. And they take a teaspoon and start dumping it in these bags. People are just going to die from it. If you take an OxyContin, you know how many milligrams it is. You can kind of judge it a little bit better. So I'm not saying you should abuse OxyContin, but it is safer if you Safe, know what you're right. doing. You know, so it's it's a very complicated problem. You know, we a lot of chronic pain patients out there are really hurting now because physicians won't write it anymore. And it's not you shouldn't just stop writing it. You should just write it responsibly and more safely. You know, but anyway, that's that but, kind of shit. But that was show you that the pharmaceutical the big pharmaceutical companies I'm, not, I'm trying not to say big pharma because then you sound like a, a conspiracy guy yeah, yeah, yeah. the big pharmaceutical companies have a little too much power in this country wouldn't we be better off if they weren't allowed to advertise like in almost every other country in the world and we could have watchdog journalists and politicians you know the other thing is the lobbying i mean obviously that's a whole other thing but wouldn't it be great if there was someone checking them well they're so that going just for cme and you're getting this propaganda right. that there's someone going, wait a second, I don't think that study that we did in 87 that said four people out of 100,000 got addicted to this was correct. Let's right. check that again. Yeah. Well, the I'll tell you, um, pharmaceutical companies didn't want to be regulated by the federal government when it came to their marketing. So what they did, and I'll give them credit for this, is they, they created these pharma rules. Right. And uh, they can no longer do a CME like I went to back in the 80s. That that cannot happen. I also, that, my, my aunt used to be a pharmaceutical rep, and I know that there used to be a lot of, like, here's, here are your trials, here's some gifts for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can no longer do that either. Right, so that's the, right. The actual they sales can't give us anything they can feed us, and that's about it. And uh, they have to uh, have uh, uh, materials that are vetted by the FDA, and the FDA will yank it if they're if they say even anything that's slightly off label. So they have to be completely on label. They cannot detail off of the like if I say, well, I want to use back in the day when Neurontin was only uh, gabapentin was only used as an anti seizure medication, but we were using it off label for neuropathic pain. They couldn't detail us on that. If we asked them about it, they'd have to say, well, I have to get somebody from research to so they can't do that they can't do uh, a, an e, you know a cme they can't do a cme at all anymore 
And they, if they are doing any sort of quote-unquote education about their drug, it has to be labeled that this is a drug company sponsored. And if they have a slide set, it has to be vetted by the pharma people inside their organization. So I have to say it's way better than it was. And this kind of thing, I, I want them to be able to tell me about new drugs because otherwise... You know, you don't always see every, you know, they're published in some damn journal I don't get. I yeah, need, no, I want, I want them to tell you about the drugs. I don't want them to tell every Joe Schmo who's watching CNN or NBC, ABC Nightly News about it. Well, do you think, though, that there's people are watching CNN and going to their doctor and saying, well, I really got to have that Jardiance for my diabetes. I just, I always wondered if there's any effectiveness to that at all. I, I'm well, sure there must be because they're spending billions well, on it. Well, it's a great it. question, though, because think about it, Dr. Steve. Let's say that You're it the expert work. on this. Yeah, so what, let's say that that advertising doesn't work because I was always skeptical too when they started doing that. right, right. What would be the benefit of them continuing to pump <laughs> billions of dollars into this advertising? Everything that I've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. So they're no longer following up on potential stories that could be detrimental to that company because they don't want to say, "Hey, if you run that story, we're no longer advertising on ABC Nightly mm. News." Like, oh, mm. oh. oh. Sorry, never mind. We're not going to run it. Yeah, I would really like to see someone. There's got to be a whistleblower. If that were true, that there was that kind of pressure, I would really like to see that because they, um, if that, oh, if, true. if that okay. shit's happened, well, it, it seems like but sometimes the things we think got to be true aren't really happening. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I see that there would be benefit to them to try that. And I really, uh, God, you know, there's got to be a whistleblower out there that says, yeah, we were approached by X pharmaceutical company. And they said, if you run that, we're not going to uh, to uh, advertise with you anymore. And we didn't run it because of that and because we were I, told from on high. And that would be a huge damn you know, I think scandal. there's whistleblowers like that all the time. I think Tucker Carlson's telling that story. I think Project Veritas is. And once again, YouTube is scraping it, and <laughs> you don't see it on Google results, and Facebook won't show it. I mean, this is, yeah. I know I sound very conspiratorial, but it's crazy to think anything otherwise when you see all the evidence yeah. that we see yeah. where they're taking things down that don't well, they forward banned, their narrative. They banned cigarette advertising, and hell, R.J. Reynolds still making tons of money, but they were smart enough to diversify. You know, right. now they make yeah. crackers and stuff. Um, I, I used so to live in Raleigh, so... About, Real quick, and then I'll yep. let you go, Yep, is um, with the media. Yes. And when COVID first hit and Trump was doing pressers every day, it was all about the ventilators. Oh, my gosh. We don't have enough ventilators. Oh, yeah. We got to get ventilators. And the media was just pounding him on this. <laughs> and this was the wrong treatment. Right. We discovered that the ventilators actually probably made things worse. Well, the way that we were doing it, if, if you yes. did it in the classic way, yes, it wasn't making people better. There are ways. Some people you got to put on the vent. Sure. But we're trying to prevent ever putting someone on the vent to the extent that we can, because we know that when they start getting those high positive and expiratory pressures that we're probably making things worse. And then we found that you have to put people in the prone position. Now, how uncomfortable is that to be on a ventilator with this tube down your throat and you're on your stomach? 
I mean, well, I, I thought you're in an induced coma when you're on a ventilator. Well, you are. It's well, I mean, yes, so not, yeah. They sedate you just to pass the time because you got to, you'd go crazy. But you try to minimize the sedation to the extent that you can because there's long-lasting cognitive deficits the longer you're on some of these fat-soluble uh, anesthetics. You know, so yeah. So I, I feel like this whole thing. I lose confidence in the media who never came back and said, oops, our bad. We were pressing Trump on ventilators all this time. We were wrong. And B, well, the medical they were wrong. professionals who are like, geez, we thought this was the right treatment. And it obviously wasn't. You right. know, we're, we're still learning as we go. Sure. I, I don't hear about these things. Well, I, well, you have heard about them because you know about it. That one you know about. And, um, I, you know, I saw stories on that, that where they were saying that we needed to uh, change our ventilator protocols and stuff like that. The problem was never the number of ventilators. We thought it might be. Right. The problem was staff. The things right. that were going to cause us to not be able to treat people weren't the number of ventilators. We had plenty of ve ventilators, but we didn't have plenty of nurses and respiratory therapists and, and other uh, allied health and just providers to treat all these people. That was the biggest shortage that we had. And that's a lot harder. You can't just manufacture, you know, good nurses. Correct. Yeah, yeah. which was interesting because we were – didn't we have, like, the GM plant creating ventilators? And we, yeah. we have – we're lousy with ventilators out in this country. Yeah. And yeah, the, the problem was always that, well, who's going to run this machine? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So anyway. All right. Well, listen, man. Well, Uh-oh. Um, okay. I'll call him back. I'll let you go. All right, man. Yeah, I got to go. My wife's called me, and I got the guy that I'm recording uh -oh. uh, demos in my thing. I think maybe he was supposed to come over tonight. So. Uh -oh. All right. Anyway. I'll let you go. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, I'm, man. This was a pleasure. Yeah, let's do the plugs again because uh, uh, that was at the beginning of the show. So check out uh, Carl uh, at whoarethese.com. And, and the, by the way, I don't run a conspiracy show. I don't talk about COVID-19 and ivermectin. It's a comedy show. We, we treat it like a roast. And it is hilarious. Wrong on this. It's, <laughs> right. That's, that's why I'm going to bring you here instead of somehow me, us doing this on your show. That wouldn't work. Right. Works on my show. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, whoarethese.com. Check out. Just put in who are these podcasts in any of your browsers and uh, you will find the podcast there. Check out the creep off, which he does with Vinny Paulino, who I really like Vinny a lot. And uh, he's a really funny guy. And uh, is he going to be at the live show? He is. He said to say hi, by the way. We recorded the show without you today. Okay. I, yeah, I, it was impossible. Um, I understand. But we'll, but we'll right. do that. Uh, but I, I really am looking forward to meeting Vinny at the live show, which is going to be in Lombard, Illinois. Check that out at WATPlive.com. Yes, August 28th. I'm not even looking at a screen. I have this memorized. Look at you. Isn't that something? I mean, you are looking at a screen, but I, you might have memorized. I have stuff. nothing on here. I'm, I'm looking at my outro, so I just have these things memorized because I am a fan. I really I appreciate am a fan. that very it's, much. I'm a ridiculous fan. I love that damn show. I love it. I so love anyway. it. Can I ask you a quick question? Yes, of course. Have we decided when we're recording the creep off next week yet? Oh, well, I'm going to be on I'm going to be on vacation. My wife will will kill me. Oh, so we're not doing it next week. I got you. Okay. Right, right, right. It's what I was, uh, uh, we'll talk, I but I, I, I kind of need to do it when I get back. I misunderstood. Again. Gotcha. Okay, I'm cool. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I, I have a stupid one, but I've got a little bit at the beginning that might make it okay. So we'll see. Good. But uh, thanks for being here. Carl from WATP. 
And uh, we can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, that Gould girl. Stick around for this because you get to finally hear your shout-out, Carl. Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Chowdy1008, Eric Nagel, the Port Charlotte whore, Carl, uh, the Saratoga skank, Carl, uh, Roland Campos, uh, sister of Chris, Sam Roberts, She Who Owns Pigs and Snakes, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, Steve Tucci, the great Rob Bartlett, Vic's Nether Fluids, uh, Casey's Wet T-Shirt, Carl's Deviated Septum, Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's Daughter, Ron Bennington and Fizz Watley, who supported this show, has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM Channel 103, Saturdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Carl's looking at his watch. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Steve. Good to talk to you, buddy. You too, man. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.